Touch them all, Joe! Welcome to the Backstage Project Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Silver. In this episode, we catch up with the greatest sports executive in Canadian history, Richard Petty. From social justice to COVID to leadership, Richard helps contextualize the past, present, and future of the sports landscape. Richard, welcome. And how are you? And what, what are you up to these days? Well, I, I'm excellent. And thanks, thanks for asking. I hope you guys are good, too. Um, you know, I've kind of camped down in southern Ontario. Everyone goes north to cottage country. I come down to Amherstburg, Ontario, and I have a place down here. And actually, I'm on an island uh, that's uh, accessible through a small ferry. And uh, I'm doing stuff in the little town of Amherstburg. opened a bookshop called the River Bookshop. Uh, and I'm building other things, a candy shop and a bakery and a little different than Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. No, actually, you know what? As you, as you talk about it, uh, and and the, the parallels are just going off in my head because we had David Kynes from Much Music fame on the, on the podcast recently, and we had mentioned uh, Shit's Creek, and uh, it sounds like you, maybe you're building your own little Shit's Creek there. <laughs> Do you have a pet name for it? Well, I I, listen, I call it Black Dog Entertainment, and you may hear my two black dogs in the background at some point. Um, I don't think I'll win all the awards they did. That was a very talented crew. And, and man, I, uh, on, on the talent continuum of one to 10, I wouldn't put myself up where uh, that cast uh, delivered and was properly recognized. Well, I think if there's a, a TV production to create and then a, a nice global distribution deal on Netflix to be had, you know, I think you would do okay. <laughs> well, I did approach HGTV. Uh, 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 on the projects, and I can't. And so far, I haven't talked them into it. Their loss, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Listen, thanks for the intro. Really, really great to to have you on, and uh, your your name is so highly regarded by some uh, in, in the circles that I travel. Well, the circles that I travel anyway. <laughs> which and uh, and and it's amazing to to chat with you today. And and we're gonna we're gonna deal with a range of topics today. You know, some are probably not the easiest ones uh, to deal with, but and some are probably. More, more to the sweet spot and the business of sports, which is really what we get into you know, on, on this podcast. But I thought I'd start with one, which is, has been on all of our minds for, for a long time, but it only has really flared up to, to the point that it's at over the last year or so. And so looking at the difference between how the various pro sports leagues have addressed racial equality, you know, specifically Black Lives Matter over the last year, you know, as someone, who has been so deeply involved in pro sports as you have. I was hoping you would share your thoughts on you know, which leagues handled it well and maybe which leagues didn't handle it as well. And, and if you want to reference teams or personalities within those leagues, you know, please uh, don't hesitate. Well, um, I, I knew you were going to ask me that question. So I kind of did a little scorecard and I looked at MLB, NHL, NFL, NBA, and tagged on W. NBA as well. So I don't follow Major League Baseball as much, even though I was delighted to work with Paul Beeston when the Blue Jays won two World Series when I ran Skydome. Today, there's only 7% of the, the players are, are Black, a lot more Hispanics. And um, I don't really hear much about them, so I don't know if they're doing anything on it. NHL, overwhelmingly a white lead, 97%. Um, you know, I, I think the number number of black players is under 
20. Um, not, they're not very woke. You've, you've interviewed hockey players. They, they don't want to say anything controversial. It just goes against anyone who shows any kind of emotion. And other than maybe a, a brief moment when they score a goal is, is not what they do. So um, I, I really don't see them doing a lot. NFL, woo, uh, 60% uh, of the players are black. Um, you know, they few of them have guaranteed contracts. Um, their, their career life is the shortest of around four years. Um, they, you know, just look at their percentage of black coaches or black quarterbacks. Uh, it's low. And I think how they handled uh, Colin Kaepernick, it says it all. They, you know, I, I think they got a bunch of rich, white Republican owners kind of says that. So obviously I've, you know, I ran both uh, uh, football team, soccer, basketball and hockey. Uh, it's no, no surprise that I like the NBA best. Uh, and they're far, far higher social justice, social awareness, uh, racial awareness. Uh, you know, 75% of their players are black. They have a lived experience. I mean, players like Sterling Brown are still getting beaten up by the police. So it's pretty topical with them. Uh, they speak out in Black Lives Matter. Uh, and despite what Fox Sports or Spots, uh, Fox News says, uh, they don't just shut up and dribble. You know, they, they like to talk. And uh, I, I've got a lot of time for them. So, you know, Adam Silver leads the way on that. Um, the league uh, collectively has agreed to invest $300 million in racial justice. Uh, they just announced the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Justice Champion. And then closer to home, there's Wayne Embry, who's headed up Black History Month. Good, good friend. I chat with Wayne. I chatted with him last week. You know, it's a scholarship. And then Masai doesn't uh, doesn't uh, isn't shy about talking out with you know giants from Africa. So that's kind of how I handicap them. WNBA, you know, uh, 80 percent black. I love that they took on that racist Kelly Loafer, the owner of the Atlantic Dream, and kicked her out. And even got involved in the Georgia state uh, Senate uh, race. So that's a long answer to your short question, but that's how I see the leaks. No, and, and thank you for doing the research and, and giving the audience, you know, a, a ton of information. Um, and I mean, you're in a position like, I mean, not, not many people in Canada, that's for sure. I mean, you've, you've worked so long uh, near or around or for, you know, Larry Tannenbaum. I, I was looking at, at some of your, your history and, and, and I did, I did notice that, um, and I don't know all the parties involved, but I do, I do, I do know you were connected to Larry around bringing an NFL team to Canada. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and cause, cause you did have some, you know, some polarizing remarks there around the NFL. If you can help our audience, which I think is generally a Canadian audience understand, you know, what it, what it's like to be an, an NFL team owner. And, and I'm asking because there's um for anyone who's watched, I think it's the HBO show Billions, you know, the, 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 the main character acts. <laughs> you, have, have you seen that show? Yeah. <laughs> what a bunch of just soulless guys and gals. Oh, there's one line in particular when Axe is trying to become an owner of, NF, of an NFL team. And, and it was talked about that being an owner of, of an NFL team is like the equivalent of knighthood. So without, without making this all about being an NFL owner and all about the NFL, if you can help us, cause you, you know, you're so close with Larry and, and then what would might or might have been an NFL team in Canada. Like what, what, what is that like that, that fraternity of owners? 
Oh, man, there's so much to unpack with that question. First of all, uh, just back to racial justice, social justice. Larry's awesome. I mean, he doesn't like to be in the news. You'd never get him to do this interview. I haven't tried yet. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good luck. He, you know, he used to always kick the interviews over to me. But he's, he's wow, he's done a great job and 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 a big, big supporter of of. Of thing. The NFL, I don't have a lot of insight into them. I put on an America Bowl or two when I was at Skydome. Uh, Larry and I attended some meetings. Uh, didn't go very far. I mean, arguably, they're still the number one pro sport in in the United States. Um, their franchise values are going through the roof. Uh, but they're not socially conscious at all. They've they've got a, a you know great uh, television deals. Uh, the gate is nice to have, but it, television drives it. They're slicing and dicing their content like crazy. Like, you, you know, there was a couple of years ago, everyone was saying, well, wait to the next renewals of uh, ESPN and, and stuff like that with cord cutters and like that. They're in trouble. But I think I read Amazon picked up content. I mean, there used to be games on Sunday. Then there was games on Saturday and Sunday. And oh no, there's always the Detroit Lions losing on, on Thanksgiving. And then there was Monday night. And now it's just, you know, it's they've been incredible on in how they've reached out to all the new technology. So, yeah, it's um, it's a tough club to get into. You got to have a lot of money. Uh, the commissioner has a lot of power. Um, yeah, it's 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 different than the NBA. I, I quite David Stern and I, <laughs> everybody fought with David Stern. He. He saved the NBA. He's a marvelous guy. Uh, Adam, what a wonderful job he's done. And uh, I just really liked working with the NBA. And I liked working with Gary Bettman and, and Bill Daly, too, at the NHL. But my favorite was the NBA. All right. Well, so I'm not uh, – I'm going to share your perspective on on what I've seen just as a fan and, and being in the business. And yeah, Adam Silver surely seems to stand – above the rest. There is no relation between him and I in case anyone in our audience was thinking that. I would like there to be, but it's just not the way it is. Way back in your lineage, maybe, well, you know. I guess at some point before the you know Immigration Canada changed my grandfather's last name when he was coming over from Europe. But that, that's a story for another <laughs> podcast. So thinking about the NFL, and we're going to go away from it very quickly after that. You know, the NFL got pretty lucky, I would say, in COVID uh, for various reasons. And they, they, had their regu- they had their season. They didn't have much incidents of COVID, uh, but thinking pre-NFL coming back and pulling off a season, you know, we had we had MLS, we had the NHL, we had the NBA, you know, they all came back in their forms of a bubble, you know, and as a sports fan and a parent and like everyone else who's just trying to figure out what to do with the a lot of the newfound time that we had a year ago, that time seems to have disappeared by this time. But anyway, um, you know, I was thankful that the sport at sports was there. Uh, so as, a, as an operator, you know, with as much experience as you have, can you put into perspective how hard it was for like MLS, the NBA, the NHL to pull off what they did last summer? Well, you know, it's interesting. I was talking at length with Larry a couple of weeks ago, and I said, man, I'm glad I'm not CEO of Maple Leaf Sports <laughs> Entertainment. Um, one, the job is so different. I, I, I was a walk-to-talk type guy. I got to know all the employees. I would walk the building at every event. Uh, talk to the sponsors, talk to the fans. And, you know, that's how I kind of imparted vision and values and really understood what the issues were and what the opportunities were. Well, now, you know, the president, I mean, does he ever see a, an employee? 
Um, so it's it's really tough. And and you've got two teams right now playing in the United States, or just one just finished yesterday. You've got um, the G, G League not even playing. You got the Raptors. Uh, pardon me, you got the Leafs playing, but in front of no no fans. So wow, it's it's almost incomprehensible what you work on. Um, now, Masai and Shanahan really, I think, are leading what the teams are doing versus suppressing. They have they've got a lot of autonomy. I gave Berkey and and Calanchola lots of autonomy. Uh, but on the business side, I was still very involved. It, it, so, wow, I, I'm not even sure. You know, they, they don't have to worry about customer service. There's no fans in the building. They don't have to worry about the hot dogs being hot because there's no fans in the building. Um, and, and their bottom line must be getting clobbered because, you know, sp- sponsors, well, I'm not getting much for that sponsorship. I don't want to pay all of that. And they've lost the gate. I mean, what's the gate? The gate, the... Leafs must be hmm, approaching a hundred million dollars. Raptors might even be in that area too. So I don't know their P and L won't be as near as attractive. And and if you've got owners who care about the bottom line, that'd be a challenge for the for the CEO. Um, anyhow, much different ball game than what I experienced. I mean, I, I was there for SARS in that Philly series way long long ago where, you know, a number of people died in, in Toronto, but it was more of a Toronto phenomenon. I mean, I, I, w- I went to go to a meeting in New York City with my C- CFO, Ian Clark, and they didn't want to see us. <laughs> I said, you know what? Uh, SARS gets worse the further you get away from, from New York, or from Toronto, because perception. But in truth, I mean, we were in the middle of a playoff game, and I'm really worried I'm going to have to shut the, and everyone sitting in, you know, seats that are 19 inches wide, I'm really worried that we're going to have to uh, cancel a playoff game. Never happened. This is a much different ball game. Yeah, and, and, you know, looking back to March of 2020, when, when it was the NBA that basically started uh, the world paying attention to this, mm-hmm. um, again, goes back to leadership and, uh, and, and committed ownership to something bigger, bigger than the sport. Um, going back to the NFL, I, I promised I wouldn't go too deep. You are an NFL fan. Well, that is I like the NFL. I like the, the business is such a case study. And I, I think um, I think there's a lot of Canadians who are deeply connected to the NFL. But I'm only going to mention the NFL because it's the first league I'll mention as I ask this kind of next question. So there's been you know recent broadcast deals and NFL by far leading the way, you know, over a hundred billion dollars of rights value over a series of years. NHL did a pretty lucrative deal down in the US. Yeah, finally ESPN finally after years of dancing with them came back and, and major league baseball we're hearing now, you know, is doing, is doing some new deals for increases. So when, for those of us who pay a lot of attention to what's happening there and the increase in the broadcast rights fee coupled with what we know are lower ratings. Now that might be temporary, but still it, it is, they are lower right now. Some pundits are saying that the increase in rights fee is connected to sports betting. Others are saying it's about the migration of audiences, you know, from, kind of your terrestrial, satellite, cable, pay TV distribution, you know, to OTT. So just looking at today's landscape, I was wondering, you know, when you were in the thick of things in your career, do you remember moments that were as pivotal as what we're seeing right now in the sports business? No, um, 
you know, I, I launched with the help of a lot of people, TSN.ca was the first sports website in about 94. And I had to talk the, the TSN guys into, this, you know, ESPN had just done it to get involved with that. Then, you know, it was a couple of years later, I launched the first website for the Maple Leafs. They were just, you know, they, they were nice. They were little hobbies. Uh, they were kind of, I, a lot of the websites companies were putting on called brochure wear. All they were was ads. Never imagined. I mean, when I retired nine years ago, I wasn't on Twitter. I went on Twitter to sell my book. Um, and just, it, it just, it's, it's just a much different ballgame. So, you know, my brother and I, he was CFO at um, a course for a long time with John Cassidy and they're, they were smart guys. And we were both just marveling at how much money the NFL squeezing out. And I said, Tom, you and I are too old to really understand the technology and all the ways to monetize it. Um, so I don't know, just, you know, again, they've got smart guys at the NFL, smart men and women, smart men and women at the NBA, working with the, the content, um, uh, the people who put the content out. Um, and a lot of people are connecting the technology dots. I, I again, I, I'm not sure I could ever be a CEO. I already pointed out why I'd have trouble being a CEO. The technology, boy, my head would explode. Well, listen, I won't. I won't push you too much on this, though. Uh, but it's. Uh, it, it is good to contextualize that. But now is a very unique time in the history of sports, as we've all been assuming. Uh, but having you kind of validate that it's. Uh, it's. It's net new territory. It, it really helps just frame how important it is to have you know leaders who know know why they're making decisions, <laughs> and and brands and sponsors know it is a business you know when all is said and done um you know it's a business and winning is good business people used to say well uh you know you guys don't care if if um the leafs win the stanley cup well um you know making the playoffs is good business winning championships is great business so yeah it's still a business that's why teachers owned it for a long time that's why teachers made over a billion dollars profit when they sold it uh, it's a business and and you know sometimes you know the preoccupation with the business side of it takes away from the entertainment sports uh you know fan avidity side of the business again great great perspective and I, I, we're gonna actually get into that in, in a minute i wanted to for the audience i mean i i because Richard, this is, I think this is the first time we actually really have had a chat. I, th I believe we met maybe about seven, eight years ago through Dr. Sherry Bradish, I think. And then yep. I'm, at, um, at Ryerson. Ryerson, exactly, at the DMZ. And you know, some of you just said, I did not know that you were kind of the executive at the time that was there when it might have been Bart Yapsley, if I remember correctly, started like tsn.ca. And, um, and, so I actually ran that for a few years back in 2012 to 2014. Um, and uh, that was a great time working, working in the business before uh, the NHL rights kind of changed hands. And uh, it just wasn't as interesting for someone who likes to build digital businesses to be around there. Mm. But I've had quite a few friends of mine former, uh, who are former colleagues of yours, and they have such immense admiration for you, for you as a leader. You know, we had one, one fellow who you, you may or may not remember named, named Mark LeBlanc, who we had on the pod. Oh, sure. Yeah, he did an interview on your yeah. channel. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, thanks for knowing. Thanks for listening. Yeah, he, so he he quoted you in that podcast. And I'm going to do my best to, to quote you as well before, before we kind of tee it up as a question. But he said, you, you once, and I don't know what the forum was. Maybe you'll help the audience uh, paint the picture. 
you said, you know, when you were winning, the hot dogs taste better, the beer tastes colder, and the washroom lines seem shorter. So my, my question for you is, you know, how do you explain the impact that you've had on the lives of so many of those that you've worked with? Well, listen, I remember, Mark, I think my, uh, that's true. I think my briefer statement was the hot dogs don't taste as good when you're losing. And it was really <laughs> funny. Um, I used to always say that, and I can remember, <laughs> we, we had actually did consumer testing with fans on picking out our hot dogs. Our hot dogs are really good. And uh, not the ones at Maple Leaf Gardens, which I always uh, said were cold. Um, they, uh, so at the end of the year, this fellow wrote me uh, a letter. And I think it was a letter in those days, maybe an email, complaining that our hot dogs didn't taste as good. So it just proved my theory. Um, so, you know, I was really, I dedicated my second book to all the people that I've worked with. Uh, you know, I, I really learned along the way that people make the difference. Surround yourselves with good people. Um, and amazing what happens. And, you know, I did that by trying to hire the best people uh, to further train them, to recognize them, engage them, and importantly, unleash them. Uh, there was a lot. When your company gets as big as ours, there's no way I could do everything. So I used to say I went where the problems were and where the opportunities were. Uh, if there was a problem, I wanted to be involved in the solution. If there was an, op an opportunity for much more, I wanted to be involved. But a lot of stuff, I, I know, I think Mark worked on game ops for a long time. Uh, they did a nice job. I always thought it was too loud and I have hearing impairment. Honestly, I have hearing impairment that I blame the Raptors for. Um, but yeah, Mark was a good guy. And, you know, I, it was a wonderful team of, of men and women. And I'm I'm really pleased that I stayed in touch with so many of them. Oh, that, that's great to hear. And I uh, and we, we don't have to get into the depths of it because I did listen to your recent appearance with John Shannon and Bob McCowan on their podcast. And, and, and there was talk all about all the great leaders that uh, developed under your reign who have gone on to basically rule the tri-state area in, in New York, if I have it right. Yeah, amazing. And making a lot of coin from what I get. Well, listen, that, that, that's good. That's good. It is, it is a pity that you have to go south of the border to do that, but such is life, right? Yep. So, with the podcast, we, we, we try to ask a few a few standard questions with, for all of our guests. You've already answered a couple of them, actually. But, but there's one of them I, I would like to get to because I, I really have no clue what you're going to say, which is if you had to pick a moment in your career um, that you recall as the most memorable, you know, what, what was it? Hmm. You know, I, had, I worked for 41 years. I'm I can, one of those rare CEOs who was never fired. <laughs> which is quite amazing. Maybe I jumped uh, companies just in time. Maybe my timing was impeccable. Um, you know, when I was 20 years old, I wrote, I, I love basketball. I couldn't play with a lick. I watched the Pistons. I watched the University of Michigan. The University of Windsor Lancers men's team won five championships around the time that I was going there. And so I love basketball. And I wrote in a journal one day when I was 20 that I wanted to run a basketball team, not be the coach, not be a player, to, to run it, be a president, not an owner. I mean, that's crazy. So I was 20 years old um, and, and I kept that dream in mind. Um, you know, who is it? The guy who wrote chicken soup for the soul said, have a dream, write it down, do something every day to keep it in front of you and move towards. And I kind of did that. I went into to marketing um, with uh, Colgate. Uh, I got into general management. I ran hostess pills, hostess potato chips, which Frito-Lay bought about, uh, Pillsbury, which General Mills bought. I ran Skydome. I was getting my ticket punched on a whole bunch of stuff. And one day, Larry Tannenbaum, who I did not know, phoned me and said, 
I, I'm interested in building, bringing an NBA team to, to town. Do you know anyone who would help me? And I said, yeah, me. <laughs> that was, you know, that's where I was at. And uh, so I took a six month sabbatical, visited 21 NBA teams, wrote down notes, got stole ideas, met the CEOs. I wrote a whole proposal for Larry that we submitted to, to David Stern with a check for a million dollars, did research, developed the brand. It was going to be called the Toronto Thunder. And uh, we thought, geez, I, you know, I've got the Blue Jays on our side. I've got Labatt's on our side. Who am I missing? Um, I've got Larry on my side. I've, you know, we've got the dream team and we put in the application. Well, it was a fair, fair fight. Uh, the Bitov slates got it. And that night I'm going that Thursday night, I'm on my way to Larry's to find out we'd won the team. And I stopped at the LCBO at Summerhill to buy some champagne. And I was getting out of my car and I think it was my counter came on and said, Bitov slates had the team. That was a real moment for me. I mean, I thought, man, I was that close. By that time, it was what? I think it was 26 years into my dream, and we blew it. We did some things wrong. They won fair and square. Um, and that moment really stuck with me. But, you know, you get back on the horse, and, you know, I went to NetStar, TSN, Discovery Channel, learned some things. And lo and behold, a couple of years later, they need a new president. I take over the Raptors. Leafs buy us. We create Maple Leafs and Sports Entertainment. So that moment, that Thursday night, I remember getting out of the car. I can still picture the door opening and the radio talking. And, you know, that I figured that's it. But it's a good lesson. You know, I have a chapter in my last book that get back into the gym. You know, just when all that stuff, you could do everything right. Um, but, it, it, you know, companies go under now. Industries change. You know that. You're working in an industry that's really changing. You work for a boss who's an idiot. Uh, um, you know, it's, things happen, but you know, just like a team loses, get back in the gym, work on your jump shot. You know? And and for the audience, it's it's important to recognize the, the moment that you know that, that Richard has picked, which which is not his greatest achievement, but it, uh, <laughs> but it, but it did not define you either. I, I'm if I, if I can ask a follow up question to it. So as you, you know, you're at you're at NetStar, TSN, and all those great networks, and uh, and you and you get the call to go help out. You know this fledgling Raptors franchise. Um, you know, what, uh, what 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 does Larry Tannenbaum th think about about that beyond supporting you? Let's assuming let's assume that he's supporting. Well, you know, so I'd stay in touch with Larry. He he was all for it, um, for me doing it. Uh, I did not know Alan Slade. I met him socially once. Um, Alan phoned me up and said, "Will we have lunch?" And I, you know, I've got my antenna up. I'm thinking something's going on. I, I, I brought him one piece of paper. I never brought him a CV. I brought him one piece of paper. On the left-hand side, all the skills that you need, marketing, market research, finance, sales, ran a, 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 a building that put on concerts and had suites and had, had sports tenants. I worked in broadcast. I did a, some rights deals with Rick Brace on the NBA, launched a website. So I had all... I had all the things that someone needs to run a sports franchise. And the right-hand side, I had all examples of what I'd done. I got the job basically over lunch. And uh, now the interesting thing, so I go over there. Now I'm working for Alan Slate. Uh, we are running late on the, the NBA's beating us up because we don't have a shovel in the ground on the new Air Canada Center. Uh, we're running late. Uh, the, the Leafs are trying to do their thing. 
and uh, build a, a stadium. At that time, Steve Stavro did not want to join up the two. And um, they're talking about CNE. Then they start talking about building it over the Union Station. It still wouldn't be built if they tried to do that. Um, and, and, you know, I had to fight them off. And now, so Larry's brought me in. I know Steve from, uh, from grocery days. I sold him green giant corn. So I knew those guys. And now I'm kind of their enemy. So they were not happy with me. But, uh, you know, I took over at the end of November in 96. And my motto was, first of all, the shovel in the ground wins. We had a shovel in the ground by February 12th. And uh, sure enough, we did it. Uh, one day I walked the CEO of teachers around what we were doing. And they saw what a great location it was. And that with more money, it could even be better. And TD recognized that and Larry recognized that. They convinced Steve into doing it. Um, and they bought the Raptors. Thank goodness. One building, two teams. I'm not sure the Raptors would have survived if there had been two arenas. I really don't know that. Unfortunately, I had some fences to mend when I joined. They they made they weren't sure they're going to give me the job. They made me the interim CEO. I had to earn it back because I was uh, I was fighting them. Anyhow, it all happened. I got my dream job. No, it's, listen, it's a you, you absolutely did. I I unfortunately was not really in the sports industry during that time and. Uh, but, but I got there soon after the, thinking about the shovel in the ground. I'm glad you mentioned that story. Cause I was just a sports fan. You know, I was probably in my, let's face it in my early twenties at that point. And I remember the whole stadium debate. It, it was well beyond anything I cared about at the time. I probably just cared about playing pickup hockey more than anything else. Uh, but there, there's a fellow who I haven't had him on the podcast. I'd love to, I, maybe, 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 maybe this is the impetus to give him a call, but you know, Bob Hunter has certainly shaped what I would call, and this is more of a multi-millennium name, like he has shaped the coliseums of this town, which is we're calling the Toronto, um, more than than anyone else that I'm aware of. And and how how important is Bob to to your world in building the vision that that you were executing? Yeah, um, I want to talk to Bob. I want to give also a shout out to Tom and Selmy. Tom actually, I tried to hire him when I was building Air Canada Center. He was working. Now, let me back up even further. The Leafs are going to build a stadium. It's now September of 96. I get a call from Steve and Larry saying, you've got anyone to recommend? I said, yeah, Tom and Selmy. He just bought, just built GM place. And they hired him. Two months later, I need a guy to build their Canada Center and try to talk Tom into joining. But he was smart. He stayed with the Leafs. Tom actually built, uh, he was the guy who built Air Canada Center. Now, Bob ran Air Canada Center for, oh, God, so many... Poor Bob. I said, no one's had more uh, employee reviews, written reviews than Bob Hunter by me. I mean, no one deserves that. Anyhow, Bob did a great job of running it. We were constantly investing in it. The expansion out to the out to the west uh, into Maple Leaf Square was his project. He also did BMO Field on budget, on time. And the good news is he's still consulting on that. Um, I just recommend him some... some uh, um, a junior a hockey team in the east coast is looking at doing some stuff and i said give bob hunter a call so you know bob bob ran the building i i never worried about you know i didn't worry about uh, how the tragic hip were doing i mean i didn't feel that i had to be at the building because i knew bob was there and i swear bob must we were doing 250 events a year i swear he was at the stadium arena oh we did more than that because when you add bmo field to it and and uh the, the Marley's to it. Oh man, we were, we were always working. And 
Bob was there. He's he's great at that. Be a great interview. Tom and Selmy would be a great interview too. Tom Tom and Tom is hard to get. He's still he's still quite busy with that with that those Oilers. Are yeah, tough. they're a good team. That'll be interesting. But some maybe in the off season. I looking at at these amazing people that that you got a chance to to work you know hand in hand with. Um, you know, thinking about you know, your, your 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 legacy. Are there are there any particular people that that you look to as like you know you're you're, you're most proud of of, of their achievements? Uh, considering you know maybe when you met them versus where, where they are today. Um, you know, first I started. I really realized when I took over Pillsbury in God, what year was that? Nineteen eighty five. That they had a value called people make the difference. And I've really embraced that. Uh, nine of my Pillsbury people went on to be presidents. Uh, two of them much bigger jobs than I ever ran in, in a dollar sense. Um, then I went on to Skydome and, and Bob, Bob, I met Bob at Skydome. And so, you know, he replaced me at Skydome and then we stayed in touch and I hired him. Uh, Tom and Selmy was, uh, as an engineer, we're having this meeting and, and Skydome's a mess when I took it over and I knew nothing about arenas and stadiums and we have this long table and there's this engineer at the back in blue jeans and dirty shirt and work boots and he makes a lot of sense and afterwards i said who the hell was that that was tom and selman so and see what he's gone on to work with you know take on the president and coo of maple leaf sports he went on and, and had a couple a, a tough year in ottawa who doesn't uh then went on and, and did gm place and and now he's with the oilers uh, and then the team at um, MLSE, we've already talked, you know, Jeff DeLine, um, Mike Cosentino, um, oh God, Dave Hopkinson, uh, uh, you know, what Tom's still doing, what Ian Clark's doing. Uh, it was really, really a good team. And, and when you get to be 700 employees and something that's worth, well, you know, $2 billion, you can't do it all by yourself. Once again, people made the difference. Well, thank you for sharing that. And those are some great names and people who are still very much in the in the thick of things in their career and doing it on, on the world stage. I want to ask you a, a, just a final question. Might be the hardest question I've asked you today. Although you've given some beautiful answers to some other hard questions already. You know, if uh, if you had to uh, pick who has the harder job today, um, is it is it Michael Freesdale or is it Mark Shapiro? Mark Shapiro. Um for a bunch of reasons. Um, he's working in a less than ideal facility. You know, Skydome was one of the great wonders of the world in 1989, but today it's a big cement colossus that's not designed for baseball at all. And tough to monetize. It uh, doesn't have the amenities that new stadiums have. Um, and he's very hands-on. He's, he's a baseball guy more than a business guy. I was surprised. I, I thought they'd hire a super general manager on the baseball side and a different business guy on the, the business side of the Blue Jays. Um, and, his, 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 and I don't know the whole talent base that he has, but it just strikes me that Freesdale, you know, he has Adam. I mean, he has uh, Masai and he's got... Uh, Shanahan and he's got the TFC guys uh, and they have a lot of autonomy. So uh, Freestyle is not making decisions on basketball and hockey players. Uh, Shapiro is making decisions on baseball players. Um, and let's, 
and I, I I'm going to say this, and I'm biased. Uh, you know, the fan avidity in Toronto today is still very much the Leafs, and I think Raptors second, and baseball's third. So you know, you got that going for you too. Um, you know, bigger gates, sellouts, etc. So I'll give it to baseball. Yeah, no, I, I'd agree. And there, there, there are some great people who I, I know that Mark Shapiro brought to town. One fellow in particular, uh, Andrew Miller, who was kind of his head of the business for a while there, but he quickly left and he's, I think he's now the chief operating officer at the Minnesota Vikings. So again, goes back to the NFL. You know, the, um, now we're kind of, kind of at the end of the questions I really wanted to deal with today. I wanted to kind of finish off with, you know, Richard, how do, how do people continue to follow what you're doing best? Is it, is it the bookshop? Is it what you're doing to improve, you know, the town that you're in? Uh, is it following you on social media or, or, or your next book? Um, well, how should people stay in touch with what you're up to? Um, well, I'm at Richard Petty, Richard dot Petty. You know, I can't remember. I even, so I'm, I'm, I'm on Twitter. I'm, I'm not really good on Facebook or Instagram. Um, I champion the River Bookshop. You know, I brought, you know, I, I created a bookshop because I believe that all small towns need a good library and a good independent bookshop. And, uh, you know, my wife and I, Colleen, our company is called Black Dog Entertainment. And our goal is to um, improve the economic, social, and cultural health of the town. And so we do that with a bookshop. We get it built by local people. We staff it with local people. And then I thought, geez, we could do some more. So I buy some more property and, you know, I'm uh, renovating um, a small building for a bakery. And I've leased it out to two young bakers. And then we've got uh, another build that we're doing that's going to look very historic. And we'll put a couple more stores in it. So and then last Wednesday, and I, uh, I launched with the help of 11 community builders, a new initiative called Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, Amherstburg.com. You can follow that one, uh, where we want to make the town better. And um, and also, really important now with the pandemic, that you do you should be doing things in your town now, in your city, your community, that prepare you for a post-pandemic world. And obvious things like do open streets, because it's just so much healthier out there. And it's parks, and it's cycling, and it's it's so many things. And um, I've surrounded myself with really smart people. And we launched that on Wednesday. I'm doing a, a Zoom presentation tonight. If you go to Amherstburg, thriveamherstburg.com and look at the events area, you can, can follow that. Because, you know, what we're doing is good for Amherstburg. But if it works, it's a best practice for every small town in Ontario. And, and you know, they need champions like our group to, to make it happen. Um, but there's lessons learned and, and small towns in Ontario are having trouble. They industries all left and some of them are hollowed out by the Walmarts of the world. And, um, so that's what we're doing. So I, I have a really busy active retirement <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's philanthropy, it's community building. Yeah. It's, it's kind of fun. <laughs> it's mostly fun. Um, uh, sure don't get paid for it. It's more philanthropy than anything. Well, it, it is great to hear that in retirement, you're still, you're going strong. You're making a difference. I wanted to thank you a ton for, for joining, you know, Andrew and I 
for what currently is, is a private leadership pep talk. But as soon as we release this episode, it'll be for the world to hear and, 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 get, and get a <laughs> dose of Richard, a very different dose that, that I know, you know, John Shannon and, and Bob McCowan like to bring out, but, but that's what we love about those guys. <laughs> that, they, they, they bring out, you know, the, the fun and the best in everyone they talk to. We're, we're trying to deliver just a little more specific value and, and you've certainly over delivered for us today. Well, uh, listen, hats off to you. Um, in this world of changing jobs and, and companies that don't exist or downsize certain areas, it's thrown a lot of people out into the marketplace and, you know, the, the ability to adapt and be creative and create your own jobs and stuff. Uh, wow, good for you guys. So I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. The Backstage Project Podcast is brought to you by Ready, Set, Go. They help organizations create extraordinary digital products. To learn more, go to ReadySetGo.design. If you would like to get in touch with Mark and the team at the Backstage Project Podcast, please email us at info at tpbpodcast.com.